You are listening to sermon audio from Fort Myers Community Church. For more information about how to get involved in the life of this church family, please visit www.fmcc.life. Man, one of the most fun things uh, when we're doing that greeting time is not only everybody saying hello to one another, but seeing all the kids just flood out uh, to kids' ministry. I just love uh, how we have taken the command to be fruitful and multiply very seriously here. Um, and, you know, I, I love seeing these kids grow up and, and the, the features that these kids have that resemble their parents. Have you ever seen a kid that looks just like his mom or dad? Um, like, I, I just love seeing the similarities in, in eyes and ears and, and even feet. Like, I have one of my kids, they have like my exact feet. We were sitting there uh, uh, with our feet up on the coffee table the other day, and you're looking, you're like, it's like a clone of my foot um, just sitting there. And how God just replicates those things in through our DNA and through how he works and moves uh, that he has allowed us to to pass down these traits and these features. I think one of the most difficult things that, that I do in life is when you go to the doctor and you have to fill out that uh, you know, family history report that they give you every single time that you're there because uh, you think that maybe somehow they've forgotten. Um, but it's not information that I go around asking my family about. I mean, it's not like I go to, you know, family Christmas dinner and ask my Nana how her diabetes is doing. But, um, but that's what they want to know. That's the information that they ask because we pass down these traits. We pass down our genetics. We pass down different things from generation to generation. And so the recap for last week as we started in Genesis was that God created all things with the power of his word. And then we see that God has a purpose for what he has created. And he also said that it is good. It is beautiful. And last week we saw how this connection between Genesis 1 and John 1 and we see that in John 1, it says, in the beginning was the Word. And what does it say? The Word, the Word that had power, that has purpose, that is good, became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus came to live among us, that he is the Word. God created the cosmos, the earth. And then he says, let us make humans in our image. And so that's where we get to dive into today. And so I'm, I'm super excited for this. Let's pray, and then we'll open up the word together. Jesus, God, I know often we can come into a place just like this or a Bible study or a home where we're studying your word, and we can come across passages that are familiar. And often we think that, that we know these things. But I pray, Lord, because you are a creator, that you would create something fresh and new inside of us. Lord, that you would penetrate our hearts with the good news of your word, that you have made us in your image for a purpose. And that purpose is good and it is beautiful. And so God, all the distractions of life, all the things that can remove our minds and our hearts from your word, I pray, Lord, that you would uh, do a work in us, that your spirit would lead us through this passage so that, that we can know you more, grow closer to you, and be encouraged to live out this gospel with every man, woman, and child. God, thank you for all of the churches in our area that stand firm on your word. 
Lord, I thank you for, for Summit and Crossroads and New Hope and Sanibel. Um, God, I thank you for First uh, uh, Faith Bible down in Naples. God, I, I want to pray over um, just the community that the communities that have been impacted by the most recent hurricane that went through up in kind of the North Florida area. Um, God, I pray that you would bring uh, healing and restoration as we know very, uh, very recently, Lord, what it was like to be hit by a hurricane like that. And so, God, I pray that you would continue to forge partnerships with churches up there that we can serve and help. Um, and that the churches would, around that area would be empowered to bring your gospel to every man, woman, and child. We love you and we thank you. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. So start in verse 26. The first thing we see here is let us. This is one of the first clear pictures of the Trinity that we see in Scripture. It's not let Jesus or let the Father or let the Spirit, but let us. That's a big word there that we should not pass over. That there is a triune God that is one, that has unique purpose. And he says, let us make man, that word in Hebrew is Adam, which is mankind. This includes women. So this is, this is a, a humanity word here. So let us make man, humanity, how? In our image. Humanity was God's most intimate creation. I want you to think over the story that we read, uh, the verses that we read last week, and, and how God spoke and mountains formed, and God spoke and there were cattle and birds and fish. <clears throat> but then what we'll see in a few weeks is that God intimately forms man out of the dust and breathes the breath of life into his nostrils. This was a very intimate form of creation that we hadn't seen yet. We haven't seen this yet because what we saw was God spoke bear and a bear showed up. But for man, he formed man and formed woman and gave them life from his life in his image. Now, we're going to cover the totality of that passage in a few weeks. But how did they make man and woman? Very hands-on. And then in verse 27, it says, man and woman, he created them. Man and woman, equal in value, different in role and gifting and biology. Now, I, we're going to cover this in a few weeks, but we got to see God's word for what it is, that God made man and woman unique, that, that they were made for a purpose, Culturally, our culture is trying to sever that. Culturally, they're trying to distort that to say that there's a blurred line between what is a man and what is a woman. That's not what we see in God's word. What we see in God's word is that God uniquely made man equal in value to make woman equal in value, but they are different in role and gifting and biology. God created them with a purpose, which was very good. And what does he say? It was unique. It was beautiful. So man and woman made them in his image. Why? Well, for the, how he's made all of creation, all things for his glory. But then how will man and woman bring glory to God? And that's what we're going to talk about today. There's three ways that we're going to see that God made man and woman in his image to bring him glory. Here's the first thing that we see. He created man and woman 
to have dominion. Look at verse 26. The Hebrew word here means to rule, to dominate, and to prevail against. This is God's desire for man. Verse 26, to have dominion over. Verse 27, to have dominion over. Verse 29, I have given you all of this. All of creation I have given man, I have given woman to rule over, to dominate over, to prevail against. Now here is the problem. There is an enemy. Catch this. There is an enemy that desires creation to dominate over us. Are we tracking? There is an enemy that wants creation to dominate over us. God's created us to dominate over creation, but the enemy wants creation to dominate over us. He places created things before us to control us. That's what addiction is. If you've ever struggled with addiction or, or a habitual sin, It's creation ruling us through substances, people and relationships, food, success. It's us chasing these highs and experiencing lows. That's what the enemy desires, is for creation to dominate over us. The devil doesn't always use the big stuff either. You know the big three in church, the church world that that we see, right? Sex, drugs, and rock and roll that are going to take you out. Ever hear that? Growing up, that was what the church would say, right? You can't listen to, to bad music because it's going to destroy your life, or you can't do these things because, and so we have these big sins that we put up there. We have murder that we put on the top of the list. We, we put uh, rape, and we put all these things up there, but it's not always the way that the enemy uses to take us out. He doesn't always use the big things to dominate us. It's often in the small little things that the enemy will use to control you, to take over your life. And and if you're here today, you know those little things that you have specifically in your life. But all throughout each one of our lives, they may look different, but their purpose is the same, is to have creation dominate over us. I remember uh, growing up, I had worked since I was about 12 years old. My, my dad wanted me to, to not sit around and watch TV, so I started mowing some neighbor's lawns. And, and so I've, I've kind of been working since I was 12. That's just how I grew up. And I went off to college. I became very frugal with my money. And then I was actually really good. My mom taught me how to budget and, and use a credit card and, and actually do different things really well with my finances. Um, and then there was one day I remember very um, clearly, I went to Walmart. And I went to Walmart, and I was loading stuff, and at the time, there was a thing that cameras, you would take a picture, and there was, a, there was like film in them. Do you remember that? And kids, what you had to do is you had to take that film and go to the store and give it to them, and then they would print out actual pictures. You couldn't scroll. It was actual pictures, um, and then you would look at them. And so you never knew what you were going to get, by the way. You, it could have been a whole roll of nothingness. Um, but you went, and, and so I had some pictures developed because I wanted to put some stuff in my room and make like kind of a, a journal of my college life. And, and so I had put it, the, the, the envelope that these pictures came in, in the cart and my other stuff, and I loaded everything up and got my bags and paid. And as I was walking out of the store, I had realized that one of the envelopes of pictures had slipped down kind of in a crack that I didn't actually pay for it. And I thought, yes, this is awesome. I just got free pictures. That's stealing kids, don't do that. 
But at the time, that set something off in my heart where I realized, hey, that was kind of easy. And then for a season of my life, I became what is known as a klepto, a thief. I would go to Walmart and intentionally hide things around my cart so that the cashier, at the angle that they were looking down, could not see so that I could get this stuff out. The devil used something very small that seemed significant, uh, insignificant to me at the time, but to force me to have a severed relationship with my creator because I was sinning. I was stealing. That's not something that we should have as a part of our lives. I love what C.S. Lewis says in a book called The Screwtape Letters. Now, I just want to give you some context to what this book is. C.S. Lewis wrote in the perspective of a lord demon, kind of a head demon, the manager demon, to one of the demons that he was uh, discipling, if you will, that he was trying to train how to uh, affect humans. And in this letter, C.S. Lewis um, was, was showing how the devil uses, how the enemy uses these little things to control and dominate over our lives. And this is what he says. You will say that these are very small sins. He just had articulated some distracting sins. The little things that, that we tend to brush off and sweep under the rug and say, hey, they're no big deal. I have them. I'd assume that you have some. So you will say that these things are, these are very small sins. And doubtless, like all young tempters, right? Because he's saying this to a, a, a younger demon, that you are anxious to be able to report spectacular wickedness. But do remember, the only thing that matters is the extent to which you separate the man from the enemy who is God. It does not matter how small the sins are, provided that their cumulative effect is to edge the man away from the light and out into the nothing. Murder is no better than cards if cards can do the trick. Indeed, the safest road to hell is the gradual one, the gentle slope, soft underfoot, without sudden turnings, without milestones, without signposts. That's pretty deep. And if you're here this morning and you've been walking with Jesus for any amount of time, you would know that this is true. That the devil uses little things in your life to sever and destroy relationship with God. Substance abuse, adultery, embezzlement, gluttony, lies, idolatry, stealing office supplies from your employer. The devil will use anything he can to take dominion over us. But here's the good news. We are not in this battle alone. God entrusted us to have dominion. So what does this look like practically in everyday life? Like how do we do this? Well, we must first trust God and the power of his Holy Spirit in us. Lauren and I got to go to dinner with some dear friends this week, and we were talking about the Holy Spirit. We were talking about how we have, in a lot of ways, culturally and in our own personal lives, have belittled the power of the Holy Spirit in and through us. The Holy Spirit is an equal part of the Trinity. The Holy Spirit is living and active and actually is is going to transform us, is, is, the, is the part of God that transforms who we are and how we live. 
And we can't push the Holy Spirit aside in our lives. And we can't quench the Spirit in our lives because it's the Spirit of God that helps us live this stuff out. So even trusting God comes out of an overflow of the Spirit doing a work inside of our hearts and in our minds. And often in life, I go about it as if the Spirit doesn't exist. I often forget the power of the Holy Spirit that God says dwells in me. You're not alone in this. These small little sins, these things that add up over time, God is in you. If you have professed faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, God is in you. And if you haven't, if you don't know who Jesus is or you haven't surrendered your life to him, there is a God who loves you and wants a relationship with you. And part of that relationship is that he places himself inside of you so that you have his power to fight against the enemy who is hard after you. The devil is hard after each person in this room. The devil does not want us to have relationship with God. The devil does not want us to have dominion over the things that God has given us. He wants the world to dominate over us. He wants to dominate over us. So we have to trust God and the spirit that he has placed inside of us. We have to also remember that this world is not our forever home. I think often the reason why we allow the world to dominate over us is because we're constantly seeking satisfaction and pleasure and fulfillment here on this side of eternity. And guess what? That will never happen. We will never be fully satisfied. We will never fully understand fulfillment truly here on earth because we live in a broken world. And so... Often, we don't live with forever in mind. We don't live with eternity in mind. And so what we do is we try to get all the pleasure and fulfillment and satisfaction right now. We're fulfillment hoarders. And we try to do it now, and we try to soak up as much as we can, which causes us then to take the things of this world and find satisfaction in them and try to find fulfillment in them when they will always let us down. So not only do we have to trust God and the Spirit in us, but we also have to remember that this world is not our forever home. This world is not meant to be the end-all, be-all. We're not supposed to build a kingdom here on earth. We are supposed to keep our eyes fixed and focused on eternity. Then the last thing is we seek help. I know that this is not culturally, uh, this is not how self-help books lead us, but we need each other. The Bible talks about this as a family. And we're not supposed to do this alone. In fact, as we're going to see in a few weeks, God said that it is not good for man to be what? Alone. And that's not merely just in the context of a marriage relationship. I mean, we're not meant to be alone, period. God has created other humans for us to have relationship with. He's created the church family so that we can do this journey together. And so when you're struggling, whether it's with little tiny sins that you think might be irrelevant or really big ones, God has created a family so that we could come alongside one another and serve one another and help one another. So this may look like counseling. This may uh, look like recovery. And this may look like discipleship. But what it is, is the church family coming together and living life together. And so these are just a few ways that we can 
learn what it means to have dominion over the world around us through the power of God and the work of the Holy Spirit and the family of God that he has placed us inside. We were created to have dominion. And we are charged to be fruitful and multiply. Verse 28. Be fruitful and multiply. Notice what it says right before that. This is his blessing. He blessed them saying, be fruitful and multiply. This is reproduction with a purpose. But what are we to reproduce? And I think often when we see this scripture, we, we just have that honed in on we're supposed to have babies. But I think it's both physically and spiritually. Like the call throughout all of scripture is discipleship. And we're not called to replicate cultural Christianity. Often what discipleship looks like in an American Western context is just cultural Christianity. Show up to church once, twice a month, and, and just kind of wear this mask of I'm a good person. But that's not what we see in Scripture. That's not what a disciple of Jesus is and does. We are a family that, that is on mission together to love God above all else, to love others, and to make disciples. So we are, we are called, commanded, not to replicate worldly cultural Christianity, but actually to be God-glorifying, Jesus-centered, Spirit-led image bearers. That's a beautiful picture of, of what we're supposed to be. So I could, I could look at a father and a son and, and say, man, he bears the image of his father, but that's what we are supposed to do. When people look at us, we're supposed to bear the image that God has given us, which is him. Him. When people look at our lives, they should see him. And so we should be people who are God-glorifying and Jesus-centered and spirit-led. And we can't do that if the Holy Spirit is not at work inside of us. We cannot go about life trying to manufacture fake fruit. Do you know what that means? That's like if you have a fruit tree that's not bearing fruit on your property and it's a lemon tree and there's no fruit on it, so you either go to the store and buy lemons at Publix or you go to World Market and buy some fake plastic lemons and you tape them on your tree. That tree is not bearing fruit. But what we try to do is wear this mask of fake fruit of, of, oh yeah, we're a good person, but when on the inside we have not been changed and transformed. The only thing that can change and transform us is the gospel, is the good news of Jesus, that he has come to make us his children, to adopt us as his own. And so we are charged to be fruitful and multiply. Parents, if you are not replicating the image of God into your children, you're not fulfilling your God-given purpose. If you're only merely replicating worldly Christianity, cultural Christianity into your kids, you're not doing what God has commanded you to do. He has commanded you to, to replicate into them an overflow of your own personal relationship with Jesus into them who are God-glorifying, Jesus-centered, and Spirit-led. The call here is to make disciples. And it's not just in our own children, but it's within this world, is to share the good news of Jesus, to be fruitful and multiply his good news to every man, woman, and child. This is the difference between a wild fruit tree and a fruit farmer. A wild fruit tree will just drop its fruit and eventually some of those seeds, maybe after thousands of, of these fruit fall, will bear a tree that turns into an adult that bears more fruit. It's an intentional process. 
that we see more in a fruit farmer, where, where a fruit farmer is intentional with how their trees bear fruit. And so they cultivate the soil. They will graft in fruit-bearing limbs into those trees so that they bear fruit. They have orchards that they tend for and keep. And so for us as Christians, we are called to be intentional with our discipleship, not just to maybe it'll happen if I just do this one day. I think we spend way too much time uh, assuming that things will happen and too little time being intentional with how we are being fruitful and multiplying the gospel in every man, woman, and child. So we were created to have dominion. We were charged to be fruitful and multiply. And then the last thing, we are commissioned to be blessed and enjoy. This is verses 28 through 31, where God says he blesses humanity and then uses this phrase, and I have given you, and then he goes on to talk about all of this stuff, the, the birds and the, and the trees and this world. God desires to bless you and give you his creation to enjoy. Now let me say something. This is not prosperity gospel. Anytime we look at this and we say, okay, God desires to bless you and give you uh, his creation to enjoy, like he's, he's going to pour out his blessing on you, automatically I think our minds go to like health, wealth, and happiness. That, I mean, that's normal, I think, in, in how we grow up, but, but that's not what I believe when, when um, you're in Haiti in the slums and you're reading these passages. What, they're not thinking about if I give some money to the church, I'm going to be rolling in a, in a, 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 a Ferrari tomorrow. Like, I don't think that that's how people are reading this outside of our American context. But, but ultimately, what I think we think is if we do what God wants us to do, he's just going to pour out money on us. or He's going to pour out worldly blessing on us. But that's not what we're seeing here. If you give to God, it's not this idea that he will give you millions. I actually have heard pastors preach this. I've had friends of mine growing up that when they've sent me their sermons that they said, if you give God this, then he's going to give you a million bucks. You just got to believe. And I'm like, no, where do you see any of that in here? You've done nothing and you bring nothing to the table. Your faithfulness, like, like the, the checks that we write or the money we put in the basket or how much we serve, like that's barely scratching the surface. Like, we have to remember that the gospel is the fact that we bring nothing. But God, because we are his children, pour out everything onto us. And this starts with Jesus. If you ever doubt that God loves you, is going to pour out his blessing on you, I want you to think about Jesus. Because in yourself, you were lost, broken, and destined for an eternity apart from God. But the blessing that he has poured out on you is the life, the death, and the resurrection of his only begotten son for you so that you may have life and spend eternity with him. And so I know that there are people in this room because I know our church that are dealing with sickness and pain and hurt and brokenness and severance of relationships. And, and there's a lot going on just in this small church family. But I want you to know that there is a God who is for you and will pour out his blessings on you. And that starts with the beauty of the gospel and it ends with the beauty of the gospel. Like he has secured your eternity and he wants you to be blessed and enjoy the things that he has given you so that you can glorify his name. 
God delights in you, delighting in him and what he has given you. And the greatest enemy to this is comparison and discontentment. Can I say that? The greatest enemy to us enjoying the things that God has blessed us with is comparison and discontentment. See, we look around and we see what others have and it causes us to not enjoy the things that God has given us. Because we see what other people have and we think, why not me? Why can't I have it? I've done these good things. God, why can't you give this to me? And, and all of a sudden we play this comparison game. It's kind of like my kids with their food. If I'm ever dishing out scoops of ice cream for my kids, it's a, it's a race to the biggest bowl of ice cream. I try as a dad to just scoop the even amounts, but they're fighting over the one bowl that they think has just a little bit more. And that's how we are. That's how we act in life. Remember what we talked about earlier about how the devil uses the small things to destroy us and pull us away from God? Discontentment is one of those things that he does. It's a seed that he plants inside of us. He stirs discontentment with God's blessing. This is what he did with Adam and Eve in the garden. God gave Adam and Eve everything. And then the serpent comes in. What does the serpent say? Did, did God say that you couldn't enjoy all the stuff? He starts to create this discontentment. Like, but, but isn't, that, isn't there a tree here that you're not allowed to touch? Like, oh, he must be withholding from you. God must be withholding from you. So take matters into your own hands. And that's what we often do. It's a perspective shift. Because we often want what we don't have. And we often want what everybody else has. It's kind of like this picture. Um, I feel like this is the easiest example, like visually, that I've ever seen of discontentment. It's the person who's on the land that's been stranded on this deserted island for, for maybe days or months and looks out and sees a boat and finally they think they see their salvation. And then there's a person on that boat that's been stranded at sea for weeks that's just hoping to see a spot of land. And then they see land and they're like, finally, that's what I want. It's a perspective shift. It's realizing and recognizing that what you have has been given to you from God. And whether you think it's too little or you even think it's too much, you have to be thankful and remember that God has given this to you for a purpose. What is that purpose? It goes back all the way to the beginning. For his name and for his glory. And so, we have to have the perspective that David has in Psalm 8, verses 3 through 8. I mean, this for me is my prayer for my life. This is my prayer for my kids. This is my prayer for my wife. This is my prayer for you. Is that we would have this perspective. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? Yet you have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands. You have put all things under his feet, all sheep and oxen, also the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea, whatever passes along the paths of the seas. We were created to have dominion. We were charged to be fruitful and multiply. We were commissioned to be blessed and enjoy. So what is our response as image bearers? We're to live this out. We are to bear his image. 
You were made, you, you're not exempt from this. Whether you believe in Jesus or not, you're not exempt from this. You were made in the image of God to have dominion over the things of this world. All the habitual sins that you're dealing with, all of the little things and the big things, God has created you and has given you his spirit so that we can have dominion over these things, that we would be fruitful and multiply his image both physically and spiritually and enjoy him and his blessings. So what are we to do? Live a life of thankfulness. Praise his name for he is good and enjoy the freedom and family that we find in Jesus. And guess what? Stop complaining. Stop complaining. Christians, we spend way too much time complaining. We have to be a people who are thankful. I mean, I want to be a person like David who, in the midst of the worst circumstances, what does he do? He turns his eyes to Jesus and he says, but you, O Lord, you, O Lord, are my God and my King. You are my refuge and my strength. I know some of you are dealing with some really hard stuff. My prayer is that you can fix and focus your eyes on your king and your father who loves you and is pouring out his blessings on you in ways that you don't even know sometimes and you may not know. But he's got you. He is for you. God has given you his salvation. He has given you Jesus. We couldn't accomplish any of this on his own, so we must bear his image. And that's what we get to do in this moment where we respond. Ben's gonna come back on up and, and as we're responding to to this good news that God loves us and he has created us for a purpose, that we come and we take bread and juice. And, and here's what this looks like. When God was with his disciples, he took some bread and he broke it and he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And today, as we're coming to the tables, there's some tables in the back, there's some tables here, um, there's some gluten-free options in those cups. Um, as we do this, I want us to remember that God has given us his son, Jesus. That he's died for us. But I want us to take this also in remembrance that we are to bear his image. And I know that there are things right now in your life that's causing hindrance to you bearing his image. And this time is a time of repentance and receiving. We bring to the table our repentance, our sins, and we lay them at the feet of Jesus. We say, God, I'm sorry for. And as you're waiting in line or as you're sitting in your seat, you can sit there and start saying, God, I'm sorry for these things. And maybe there's some specific things that are going to come to your mind. Maybe there's just some stuff that you've forgotten about. And you're going to sit and you're going to say, Lord, I lay this at your feet. And so when you come and you take this and you dip it in the juice and you receive this, what you're doing is you're receiving the fullness of his forgiveness and his love and his mercy and his grace without condition. I think often we hold something inside of us that's saying, oh, but then I have to go do this penance. I have to go do these things in order for God to really forgive me. The good news of the gospel is that he's accomplished everything needed for your forgiveness on the cross. So when we take this communion and we, we take this bread and we dip it in this juice, we are receiving the fullness of his gospel. If you don't believe this, this is not a time for you. This is an example 
of us coming and taking and remembering what God has done. But this, for some of you, may be the first time you've ever received the fullness of his forgiveness. And if that's you today and you've never done this before, but you believe that Jesus Christ has died for you and that he is your Lord and your Savior, you can ask for forgiveness. You can tell him that you want a relationship with him and you can come and receive the goodness of his gospel through taking communion. This is a beautiful first step in faith towards a relationship with Jesus. And if also, if that's you today, I'd love to talk to you. We have uh, different people like Logan and Tim um, and some guys in the back. If anybody's wearing a connect line, we would love to talk to you about a personal relationship with Jesus. If for some reason there's something going on in your life that you want prayer for, there's people gonna be around the room, they're wearing connect lanyards that you can come and talk to and receive prayer for. But let's make this a time of repentance and receiving the goodness of the gospel as we bear his image to every man, woman, and child. Amen? Let's pray.